you know, we have uh, a number of things that are beginning today, a number of things that are happening today. And our life groups have been, most of them have taken the summer kind of off or done different things in the summer, and we're kind of gathering back together. And tonight is our launch of our life groups and a special service of baptism. The baptism will take place at the home of the Broads, which is over here in Berry Creek. If you need directions, they're out there. And after we baptize uh, the folks over there, then we'll journey back here. We're going to have a dinner together. And life groups, we encourage all that are in life groups, and in fact, everybody to come. If you're not in a life group, it'd be a great time to join up with one. And uh, we're going to meet together there and have a brief time of prayer in our life groups and then uh, launch those out this next week. So if you're not in a life group, please get in one. I think we have well over 130 of our adults now in a life group. We have about 185 to 200 adults in the church now, and so there's still some to go. But if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, we really do encourage you to do that. You'll receive a little workbook, and in that workbook you'll see three weeks of readings. And we encourage you to read each of those before you go to your life group. Uh, Some of you who meet on a life group that meets on a Tuesday this week or Wednesday this week, um, well, I hate to break the bad news to you, but you're going to have to read five days of material before Tuesday or Wednesday, okay? Um, Now, you might think, oh, that's just so much, but um, each day is about two short pages. It's just kind of a, a, to get you thinking about things. So if you will get those, and you'll be better prepared for your life group if you've read that week's material before you show up at your meeting. So, uh, again, join a life group. Be here tonight. And after this second service today, we have a welcome class. If you're brand new to Grace, every other month or so, we have a welcome class where we serve you lunch, and we uh, spend time together explaining who we are as a church, answer questions, and that happens to be today. So even if it's your first time, if you'd like more information about us, you can come after the second service around noon, and uh, we'll serve you lunch, and we'll have that time together today. If you can't do it today and miss today, we'll do it again in a couple of months. So Anyway, what we are starting today is a three-week short sermon series and uh, focus in our church, and our life groups are on this same thing, is about uh, vision. It's a vision for our church. It's uh, launching and casting this vision for our church that will help propel us down the road. And I just want to give you a little background as we start this three-week sermon series called Worship, Connect, Serve. At the beginning of 2012, the elders of Grace began praying and asking God how he wants us to accomplish this great commission that he's given to us to go and win and make disciples of all people. If a person is a disciple of Jesus Christ... We had to wrestle with this question, what does that look like? If we want to say, well, there's a disciple, well, what does that look like? It's kind of hard to put your finger on. How does a disciple relate to God? How does a disciple function in the body of Christ? How does a disciple relate to the world? How does a Christ follower live his life these days? And these three relationships of the disciple to God, to the body of Christ, to the world began to resonate with us. And for the past several years, we've structured our ministry here at Grace around five things. Five specific purposes. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, ministry, and evangelism. And as we began to digest these three relationships of the Christian and the five purposes, it became clear to us that we should sharpen our focus. In some ways, simplify what it is that we do. It's always been a little bit challenging to involve people in five different 
areas. And what we found is that some people were heavily involved and some just marginally involved and many were only attending Sunday services and thinking, oh, five things, I can't do five things. (laughs) I can't even remember five things. So wrestling with the question, what is a disciple and how can we be in the disciple-making business as church began to drive our discussions and changes in ministry that we felt God was leading us to make. As we studied, we sensed God leading us to simplify things and then lead people to connect in three fundamental ways centered on these three basic relationships we find in Scripture for the Christ follower. We want to love God, express that in worship. We want to love one another and express that in connection to the body of Christ. And we want to love the people who don't know Christ by serving the needs of others. In fact, we would say a healthy Christian, a vibrant Christian, a Christ follower is engaged in all three of those somewhere, some way. You are worshiping God. You're loving Him with all of your heart. You've given your life to Him. You've sacrificed your life for His sake. And you're letting His life flow in you. And you're connected to the body of Christ. The scripture continually calls for us to be connected in loving relationships, to to be able to share the gifts that God has given us, to be able to receive the blessing of the gifts of others, to share in community, to be known and to know others. And then there's this call of the scripture to a Christian that is a healthy Christian is serving the needs of others. In some way is making a difference in the lives of other people. It's contributing to the ministry of the kingdom of God. So there is this simplified worship, connect, serve that we basically came down to. And what we've done is we've taken the five previous purposes and combined some of them. Discipleship and fellowship have become connect. Ministry and evangelism have become serve. To be honest with you, we've always seen a lot of overlap in those two, even redundancy in some of the ministries that we've had here. And this new approach, we we trust, eliminates that redundancy and that overlap, and we can kind of refocus and sharpen our focus in these areas. So so the the next three weeks, we're going to focus on each of these three relationships that God wants for every believer and challenge each one of us in being a disciple of Christ and growing disciples of Jesus and making new disciples of Christ. Now, I feel like I need to make one bit of clarification because sometimes when we talk about these things, we get questions, and so we can almost anticipate some of those questions. And I want you to know that there are some things that permeate each of these three areas. And they're always vital to everything that we do, such as prayer and the Word of God. We want both of these in everything. We want prayer and the Word of God in our Sunday services, right? In our worship. We want the prayer and the Word of God in our life groups. We want prayer and the Word of God guiding all the service that we do. If prayer and and or Scripture aren't leading in each of these three areas, then we're going to get off base. In fact, making them one of the main purposes implies that they're not in the other purposes. And the elders have studied prayer in great detail this year, and that's why we've had our entire prayer ministry this summer. It's why we're having our first Wednesday prayer meetings through the fall. And one of the things that we've learned is that if you want prayer to be a culture within your church, don't start a prayer ministry. 
That sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? If you want your church to be a praying church, don't designate, well, for you, the times that we pray are over there. Or those are the people that pray. They're in the prayer ministry. We're all in the prayer ministry, by the way. And so creating a culture of prayer has been a real heartbeat of our elder board. And so we, we have not made prayer one of these items. We pray that it permeates all of them. So today we look at worship. Our first relationship is with God. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with everything that you are. We love God because he first loved us. And our launching pad today is Psalm 95. And if uh, you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to read the first eight verses. Psalm 95, we'll put it on the screen for you. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the days of Massa in the wilderness. From those eight verses, we see that worship all starts with God. This passage says that he's a great God. Do you believe that he's a great God today? Now, we would all say, yes, he's a great God. But do you ever spend time just thinking about how great he is? And just stopping long enough to say, Lord, you're a great God. Let me meditate on your greatness. It says that he's our maker. Do you, know, do you understand the implications of God being the creator God? That God being your maker? Do you understand the implications of that statement. When you have a tendency to think that you're pretty smart, does anybody have a tendency to think you're pretty smart? And everyone just ought to do what you think they ought to do and the world would be a better place. Ever get there? <laughs> just stop and think of the Creator God for a few moments. And I can guarantee you the humility will begin to wash over you in profound ways. <laughs> He put the stars in place, the vastness of the universe, and the creativity that we find in creation pronounce the glory of God. Then the psalmist says that this great, this great creator God, he says he's our God. In fact, he's our shepherd, meaning he cares personally for you. He cares personally for me. He knows that we're vulnerable to some predators out there. Are there predators in the world today? For the sheep of God? I tell you, one of the great predators out there is just wrong thinking. There's so much wrong thinking in the world. There's so much anti-God thinking, anti-Scripture messages being pronounced in the culture, and they seep into the framework of our minds without even knowing it. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but starting on September 30th, we're going to start a, a, a fall study on worldview, the Christian worldview. 
what it means to think biblically and therefore live biblically. To understand that the Bible speaks to all areas of life. There are predators out there that want to lead you astray. Our shepherd understands our ignorance about so many things. Aren't you glad? <laughs> he knows we have a tendency to wander off. All these traits of sheep belong to who? You and I. And God knows. And he cares for us in a way that if we stay close to him, if we listen for his voice, we have the security of his care. We know the way to go. We know how to navigate through this life. Have you ever known a person that felt like they knew the way to go? They knew that there was God's way, but they thought, you know, I really want my way. Does, can you ever think of somebody who made that choice and, and just was really blessed by that? And ended up in a place where they really were just, were just at peace in it and just knew the fullness of the purposes of their life. Going our own way tends to get us to a point where we're off in the thistles somewhere. We're off in the thorns and the shepherd has to come and leave the 99 and come and find us and bring us back. The psalmist gives us our response to this great creator, shepherd God. He says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before him. Don't harden your hearts. You see, this bowing down, this kneeling, reflect the attitude of worship. It's the natural response to the mercy of God. He knows me and he still cares for me. You ever just think about that sometimes? God knows me, and he still cares for me. It overwhelms me. I have to bow before him. I can't have pride in the midst of that. You see, this whole act of worship is basically coming into agreement with what is really true. Is God always been a great God, whether you believe it or not? <laughs> Has he always been the creator God, able to handle all things, a sovereign God, whether you believe it or not? Yes. Have you always been, at your best, a sheep? Yes. And so coming into agreement with that is where the heart of worship begins to spring forth. What inhibits worship is when we don't believe that true. When we believe that we know how things ought to go, where we think that we ought to... See? The truth is God knows everything. He is truth. You and I don't have a clue. After all, we're sheep. I want to look at a, one verse out of the New Testament. It's found in Romans, the 12th chapter. And I want to tell you this, that we're going to look at Romans 12, each of the three weeks for this series because you find all of these three essential relationships in this one chapter in the 12th chapter of Romans. But I just want to look at that very first verse today, Romans 12:1. It says this, "Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship." Don't you love Romans 12? <laughs> 
I got to tell you, I, I just love Romans. I love the whole book. But Romans 12 is one of those crowning chapters of the book. Romans 8 is another one. But Romans 12, and it starts off here, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. What's the first word of the verse? Therefore. Paul wants the reader to recognize that there's a connection between what I just said and what I'm going to say. And I, I don't have time, obviously, to go through 11 chapters of Romans today because that would take me about four and a half years, I think. Or longer. But the first 11 chapters of God are about basically the mercies of God. It's what Christ has done for us. It's an explanation theologically of what Christ has done for us in giving us this new life. Romans 4, 5, 6, and 7, and 8. Oh, Fabulous passages. Uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about what God's mercies have been shown to the Jewish people. How, he's all, how they've always been His people. How He's provided for them and had mercy upon them in their rebellion. And so after this detailed description, both theologically and practically, of the mercies of God, He says, therefore, I am urging, and the word is really begging. I'm pleading. Please. Because of the mercies of God. Give yourself to Him. Give yourself to Him. I don't want you to, I don't want to get I don't want it to get biased, this little word by. It says by the mercies of God. It can be so misunderstood or overlooked if we're not careful. The word in Greek actually means the channel through which something occurs or happens. It, this verse could be translated the mer through the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God. If you have an NIV, you'll you'll see that it says in view of God's mercy. The thought is that because of God's great mercy to you, you have a reasonable response. And what is that response? Worship. Worship. You see how Paul's connecting you to Christ, the sacrifice. You and I are living examples of the death of Christ in you, something died when God's mercy came to you. You have been crucified with Christ. You have died. You're now holy because He rose from the death in, in your life. He brought that same crucifixion into your life, and then He also brought that resurrected life into you. You don't have a holiness of your own. I just love this whole thought when you think about the fact that what did I have to give Him? Well, I had a bunch of sin to give him. I don't know about you. I had a bunch of sin to give him. And he took my sin and he put it on himself at the cross. And he nailed it there. And he put it to death right there. And he took that part of me and what did he exchange that for? Him. Him. Not just His love, not just His grace, not just His mercy. He exchanged my sinfulness for Him in me. 
And so how do I respond to that? <laughs> I'm just overwhelmingly grateful. Aren't you? Aren't you just so grateful for what Jesus has done for you? I mean, you're just so grateful that you just can't stop thinking about this incredible exchange that's going on in your life. I just can't get over the fact that a God would be so loving and so merciful that he would take that from me and give me. I don't have any other choice but to respond in this bowing down and worshiping his holy name. How can I compete with that? Worship is attending to him every moment of every day. It's keeping this keeping myself in constant agreement with the reality that he's God, the shepherd of my soul. And if I don't hear his voice, I'm going to wander off. I'm going to start thinking wrong ways. I'm going to start being vulnerable to predators. We're sheep for goodness sakes. <laughs> you know, I just want to make a few points that we can put up on the board from this passage of Scripture, this one verse. Anywhere, anytime you're aware of God and what He's done for you and you're responding to this great mercy, it's worship. It's worship. Worship is a response. Worship is our response to the loving kindness, the mercy that's been shown to us. You hear his voice saying, give a meal to someone, and you do. Is that worship? Yes, you've heard the voice of the shepherd. You're driving down the road thinking about him, that he's this great creator God, your very personal shepherd. And it overwhelms you, and you respond, it's worship. The scripture talks about we sing, we shout, we cry, we dance, we bow, we fall on our face. Whatever, because of his great mercy and grace for you. Sometimes when we think about God, it's more than we can just handle. And we've got to physically express it, amen? Yes, we do. <laughs> just don't get too out of hand. I guess the question I have, when's the last time he overwhelmed you? And you just got on your knees and said, thank you, Father. Not because of anything he did for you, not because you got a raise or you got a new car, but just because you thought of him and you thought of what he's done for you and you just got on your knees and said, thank you, Father. Thank you. I see him hanging on the cross and he's for me. Thank you, Father. I'm overwhelmed. I've got to sing. Where's, where's the CD player? I've got to sing. Now I'm going to shout. Some of you might dance. I won't, but you might. But. You just can't contain it. It just overwhelms you. You see, we've made worship in our sophisticated ways today, in our technology ways, in our... You know what I'm saying, right? we got everything so organized, and we got everything in its place, and we've even made worship something very structured, very organized. we got it all together. We know how to do worship. 
We've made worship about things that it's not about. If you ask the average churchgoer the question, how was worship today? How do they translate that question? What do they think that means? Most of the time, how good was the music today is what they really mean. Was it good worship or was it bad worship today? As if there's such a thing as bad worship. You see, if worship is about music, then I guess it goes without saying, we're sure shortchanging worship, aren't we? I hope we never come to church with the attitude that says, I hope worship is good today. Your worship is dependent on what from this passage? Your response to the mercies of God on you. You see, worship is personal. It's very personal. And when you come and you're so aware of the mercies of God and you're so aware of what He's done for you and you've meditated on that and you live your life out of this flow of this thankfulness, this gratefulness, worship is always good. Always good. You know, throughout Scripture, we're encouraged to worship God together. Aren't you glad? <laughs> In Psalm 95, we, we read it earlier, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us shout. Let us sing. There's this beautiful snippet of worship in the Old Testament. I read it a few weeks ago. I want to read it again out of 2 Chronicles 5. Here is worship in the people of God. He said, In unison with the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and to glorify the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and when they praised the Lord, saying, For He in, is good, for he, he indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And amen. Worship is a corporate experience. It's personal, yes. Are we to worship together? Is the church to worship? Amen. We are to come together and collectively with one voice in unity express this response to His loving kindness. Should the church be grateful for the mercy of God granted us? Yes. We all together deserve death and punishment because of sin, but God has taken it away from all of us. He has forgiven us. He is our shepherd and we have want of nothing else, it says in Psalm 23. How's that going for you? The Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. Period. Amen. He overwhelms us. We praise Him. We glorify His name. He's good. He's God. Our God. We sing. We shout. We clash cymbals. We play trumpets. And any and all instruments to in some way respond to this great mercy. 
It all starts with God. If we're not a people who live lives of worship, nothing else is going to matter, folks. It doesn't matter how well run our churches. It doesn't matter how organized we are. It doesn't matter how much vision we have. If we're not people responding over and over and over to the overwhelming mercies of God, we're just kind of playing church, to be honest. You can't opt out of the worship part and know all that God has for you. The heart of worship will be unconcerned about its personal preferences. Can you imagine someone in the temple that day in Second Chronicles saying to the person next to them, I really think the trumpets are a little too loud. Those cymbals sure are noisy. You know, this song that they're doing right now, not one of my favorites. People wouldn't say that. Why? Because it's not about that. We're responding to the overwhelming mercy of God shown to us. We believe it's extremely critical for each follower of Christ to worship both personally having given your life as a living sacrifice to God Almighty, to live personally in a constant flow of worship, of serving God, ministering unto God with adoration and with praise. And we believe Scripture teaches that we come together regularly to hear from God, respond to God. I read it earlier, Acts 2.42 says the church was continually together. Look around. How would you like to be continually together with this crowd? It says every day, and they were eating and their meals together, and they were sharing things together, and they were together. Hebrews 10.25 encourages not to forsake meeting together. And now, where the rubber meets the road here at Grace, to be a part of this ministry, we're asking you to do three things. And we're going to explain them all over the next three weeks. But the first step in being part of this church is to meet regularly together in times of corporate worship. For us to express our response to the mercies of God as a fellowship, as a body. We want to develop this culture of worship that is a response to what He's done for us. Let me ask you a question. Can you refuse to worship all week and come in here and just have a great heart of worship? No. Worship is a life of sacrifice unto the will of God in your daily walk with Him. It's hearing His voice, the shepherd's voice, and doing what He says to do. And there's this gratefulness as you see His power flow through you and you see the lives of other people encouraged by your life. Or maybe they even come to Christ through your life. And there's this, this flow of the Spirit of God through you as you have offered yourself to Him as a living sacrifice and you see these things. How is that person coming into worship on Sunday? Well, the heart ready to just join with the hearts of others to corporately say, thank you, Father, for including me, for including us. It's vital for each of us to praise God with the body of Christ, to come under the authority of the Word of God on a regular basis. It's vital for the church to pray together. All of these activities bring the body to this place of dependence 
upon God and responding to Him. They keep our hearts from being prideful, thinking we know how to do things or know the way things ought to be. They reveal the beauty of His will for us. As a body, we must come together so that Christ can be formed in us collectively. There's just so many scriptures about it. When one part's not doing its work, when one part refuses to be a part, are we weaker because of that? Yeah. When we're all functioning together and we're worshiping Him together and we're interrelated, connected relationally, and we have a common unified purpose to reach people for Christ. There's something, there's a power that begins to be expressed through the church. And the first step is this worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we're the people of His pasture. Get used to it, we're the sheep of His hand. Let's pray.